Hi, this is Chris Stewart from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. Please reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email at oasisathens at gmail.com. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, we want to continue to serve and minister to the needs of our community. May God bless you today, and we hope you enjoy this message from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. Okay, we're in Exodus chapter 20, and I, uh, I want to tell you about a story that I, I uh, read this week. It was about a, um, a pastor was telling this story in his blog. Uh, he's, it was a pastor from the United States who was speaking at a conference in, uh, in India, and it was a conference of Christian pastors gathered there in India, and these were, these were men and women who, uh, who, who preached. Oh, yeah, that works. Yeah, that way they can just get their own Bible out, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, while he was at this conference, before, as he was making his way out into uh, the village uh, where he was going to be um, giving his, his message, uh, he, was, he went through this rural village, these rural villages, and he said there were all these small little temples out in these fields built for, all, for a bunch of gods and goddesses. And he was told by the people that the reason why those temples were built there is because they were seeking the blessings of all of these gods and their favor for things such as crop fertility, particularly the ones that he saw. And he said that they would go out there and they would sacrifice chickens to these gods and goddesses and hope that their crops would grow and, and all that. And, and uh, so he says he finally makes his way to the pastor's conference. And he gets there, and it's under, it's under this thatch roof, and, and people have walked, literally walked miles to get there. And again, it's pastors and their wives there in India, and uh, who, are, who are ministering there in India. And he said that uh, he's standing there, and he's realizing that he's talking to a lot of these people he's talking to are former, you know, former witch doctors, and, and they have um, built, the, you know, they, they had sort of grown up, you know, just embracing uh, a, 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 a religion of idolatry where all these temples were built and surrounding them out in this field and, and everything. And, he, and, he, and he, he said he even went up close to a number of them and sort of an, examined uh, some of them up close. And he said, just standing there in front of them, it kind of freaked him out a little bit. And he said, before the conference began, he was talking to one of the pastor's wives who was a Hindu convert. And she came up to him and she says, hey, have you ever been to India before? And he said, no, actually, this is my first time. And she said, well, how are you liking it? And he said, well, you know, it's different. He said he didn't really know exactly how to to um, answer that based on how he was feeling at the moment, just fresh off of, of looking at these, uh, uh, these, these little temples. And so then he asked her, hey, have you ever been to America? And she said, yes. And he said, oh, that's great. Well, how long has it been since you've been there? And she said, oh, it's been many years. And he said, well, when are you going to come back? And, and, and he said, this was her answer. She said, oh, I don't think I'll ever return. I can't stomach the idolatry. And her answer, of course, shocked this American pastor because he immediately, you know, and he said, he said inside, he immediately got defensive, like, hey, we're not, the, <laughs> we're not the idolaters, you know, you know, I'm, I'm here getting ready to preach to a bunch of former witch doctors who sacrifice chickens to their little God temples in order to make their crops grow. He said, if we're comparing idolatry, I, I mean, he said, he didn't say this out loud, but he's thinking it, you know, if we're comparing idolatry, I think you guys win, you know, but then he said, you know, the more he thought about it, 
it dawned on him, maybe she's right. Maybe she's actually correct. I mean, maybe it's a lot easier for us to see idols in other people's culture than we can see in our own because we don't even recognize what our idols are. We don't look at them as idols. Because he said, really, I think what she was noticing in us is, you know, maybe it's maybe for us it's jobs and careers and recreation and food or drink or hobby or entertainment or sport. But really, it's all the same. It's all worship. And it's all worship of truly false gods. And that's what brings us to Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, where we're going to deal today with the second of the Ten Commandments, which is idolatry. Um, If you're just tuning in with us today and you weren't with us last week, last week we began a study of the Ten Commandments. And so obviously this is going to be a 10-week study. Um, And I promise you that we'll get through one a week. Uh, Sometimes when I do studies of books, we tend to stretch them out. But this is this is going to be Ten Commandments, one a week, and um, and today we're looking at the second one, which is which is uh, idolatry. And so what I want to do is I is I want I want you to imagine right now, if you can, just sort of imagine that you've got like glasses on the end of your nose. So you got some spectacles there at the end of your nose, and in one lens, I want you to think about idolatry, and in the other lens, I would like for you to think about worship. All right. So so imagine that you actually are looking at. At, at these things together. I want you to look at all of your life, all of our culture, and all of our world through these two lenses today, idolatry and worship. So what is, what is worship exactly? Harold Best, in his book, Unceasing Worship, said it like this, that worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of a chosen or choosing God. So here's the big idea. Here's the the point. Every person in this world worships all the time. You never stop worshiping. And the reason why is because that's how you were made. We were created by a creator, God, and our our very nature of our creation, of who we are as beings, is is people who worship. It's going to come out of us. And so what that means is atheists are worshipers, Buddhists are worshipers, agnostics are worshipers. People who even say they're not worshipers are worshipers. Christians are worshipers. People, anyone who is living, excuse me, living and breathing are worshiping. Everyone who is living is always worshiping, always pouring ourselves out for someone or something. And I think that pretty much covers everything that exists in the world, someone or something. We're always pouring our our attention, our affection out to, to something. And sometimes it's not the same thing. A lot of times, in fact, for most of us, it's different things. And the reason why, that's what we're made to do. That's what we always do. That, that is just, that it's in our DNA. It's who we are. The only difference for all of us is who or what we worship and when or how we worship. That's, that's the biggest difference. So the question is not, you know, we got to understand that. The question is not, do we worship? But the question is, is our worship to God or is our worship to something other than God? And the only other answer to that is is idolatry, and that's and that's truly what we're talking about today. And that's why it's why uh, philosophers like Peter Kreeft 
um, has has uh, said things like the opposite of Christianity. You probably heard this is not atheism, but the opposite of Christianity is idolatry. So before we dig into this text today, before we dig into Exodus twenty verses four through six, what I would like to do is I, I want to remind ourselves that. You know, here my fear whenever we open up the Bible and we read of the Old Testament, for example, and we say, hey, you know, 3,000 years ago, 5,000, however many thousands of years ago you believe this was written. My fear is a lot of us, when we, when we open the Bible in the back of our minds, some people just write out in the front of their minds, they just come right out and say it. We think to ourselves, ah, 3,000 years ago, you know, these silly people. You know, they bowed down to these idols that they created. I can't, how could they even be so dumb? You know, and I think what happens to a lot of us is C.S. Lewis says that we all have this chronological snobbery. Every generation has had this thing called chronological snobbery, which is, you know, 3,000 years ago, they were so primitive. You know, it's a good thing we've evolved beyond that level of ignorance here today. Here and now in year 2020, things are much, much better. I think we've disproven that theory, don't you think? <laughs> I don't think I don't think anyone would necessarily be able to realistically agree with that. So so let's do this. Let's 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 do this. Let's think I before we jump in here, let's think about let's 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 bring our world and our culture in, in, into context as before we read this. Okay, so let's have let's have a little bit of fun with this. If you were to import a Hebrew person from 3,000 years ago into one of our college football stadiums, for example. Let's let's bring a let's bring a, a Jewish man, uh, a Hebrew a Hebrew man, and we just like transport him with Marty McFly's time machine into Ohio State, Ohio Stadium, the Horseshoe in Columbus. Maybe not this fall, but let's say any other fall in the history of Ohio State football, uh, when they've been allowed to have 110,000 people in there just screaming and, and cheering like crazy, where people are on game day dressed up like animals. They've got their faces painted half scarlet, half gray. They've slaughtered an animal out in the parking lot and sacrificed it to the team at the tailgate party. Uh, they're all dressed in the same colors. They got arms outstretched trying to affect the outcome of a game, you know, uh, and and and, and, and you know, and it's and it all seems and looks like maybe to this Hebrew guy, much similar to what maybe one of his pagan priests in his day would look like, right? They're all doing some sort of mantra. They're all doing some sort of cheer. And so I think if you were him, would you not assume that maybe this was like a religious gathering? Any Ohio State fans feeling guilty yet? So if you're not an Ohio State fan, just apply it to who you are, right? Let's move on to something different then. Let's say we, we take our ancient Hebrew fella to our malls and our outdoor shopping centers. We take our Hebrew guy up to Easton, for example, here in Columbus, or up there in Columbus. And uh, our, these are, our, these are our, our temples where we go to improve our life and our image, right? Uh, it's where we go to worship our wealth. That's where we go to, you know, the, in fact, our biggest and most expensive places to be in our culture are our shopping malls and outdoor shopping centers. If you, if you combine all of the wealth there together and uh, let's, let's take him there. And what do you think he would think about those places? Would he, would he possibly think that this is a form of, of giving yourself to something of worship? Let's stay on this journey with our Hebrew guy. Uh, sometimes we look at, at, a, at one person or a group of people and, and we, we see 
like a person, another, like somebody else, an individual, or maybe even a group of people as sort of a functional savior in our culture. We do this around politicians and political parties, for example. Uh, this group of people puts up someone to save us, right? And he's gonna be our functional savior. Well, this group of people over here puts up an opposite type of person and says, no, this is gonna be our functional savior. And you know, your God, your God can't save us, but our God can save us. No, your God's crazy. Our God's gonna save us. And, and we, we pour everything into this. Our God candidates are actually more like the devil in some cases, where we cheer for one and we put down the other and we vote for them and we argue for them. What if he saw the way we do that in our culture today? What do you think he would feel like? What are we doing with these people? Are, these, are, is, are those your gods that you worship? The gods of politics? All of that, all of that can be acts of worship or idolatry. We have icons in our culture that represent our idols, and we don't recognize them as idols. We wear them on our clothing, right? <laughs> right? And some of us are like, "Well, wait a minute! I work at Ohio. You know, you know, that's where I work, right? I, I, I've got it on my I've got it on my shirt because I'm, I'm supporting where I work. That's just a logo, right? Well, it's, yeah, it's just basically just a different kind of idol. A lot of us, our work is our idol." And what's interesting about idols is this. All idols lie. They lie to us. They make promises that they cannot deliver. That's what an idol essentially is. It's something that we pour ourselves into hoping that it will do something for us, but it cannot. It cannot deliver. It just cannot deliver. I mean, how many people, you know, those of you who have struggled with alcoholism, how many of you have stood and looked at a, a bottle of absolute vodka and thought, yes, this is the path to freedom, right? You know, how many of you found that if you've, if you've really struggled with this, how many of you found that alcohol actually becomes a, a, a form of slavery? If you drink too much, you literally are enslaved to it. It, it controls who you are. And that's the same, the same is true with everything, everything, too much attention to any number of things that we've mentioned, and all of a sudden you've become enslaved to one of these things that's not meant to be a God. All of these things we've mentioned are not evil in and of themselves, and we're not saying that you can't enjoy any number of these things in, in moderation, but what we're saying is too much attention to them, and you've made it into a God. This is the great theme of the book of Exodus, that sin enslaves us and God sets us free. And then our idols lie to us and they promise things that only the one true God can deliver. So here's what God says in Exodus 20, verse four. He says it in this way. He says, no idolatry, basically. So. So that, let's get ready to read this. So again, in, the con in context, again, if you remember last week, I went through the entire context. God sets his people free from slavery to Pharaoh as a nation. They're, he's building them as a nation. Um, they grew to a few million people. He's organized them together for a family meeting where he's a loving father and he's gonna give them some advice for, you know, just like he's given advice to rebellious kids for how to live. And they're meeting at the base of this mountain, Mount Sinai, and he is going to speak through Moses. He gives Moses the Ten Commandments, um, and this is God who has given them to Moses. And we looked at the first one last week, and that, if you remember, last week the question was, how many gods are there? There's one God, 
And this week we're gonna deal with how we worship that one God. So the first two commandments I think are the most important and that's why they're maybe at the top of that list. And that's why they come first because they establish everything else that God is gonna teach us from the rest of the 10 commandments. These first two commandments are about who we worship and how we worship him. And all of that, that, that is, is establishing how to, how, to, how to live out everything else in those 10 commandments. It's not just enough to have the right God. We need to worship the right God in the right way. Otherwise, you can have Jesus as your God and be living as a pagan and committing idolatry and living in the slavery of sin, even if Jesus is your God. You could still live that way. So it's having the right God and also worshiping the right God in the right way. And so he starts here with this particular commandment in the negative, no idolatry. He says it like this, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or that is in the earth underneath or beneath or that is in the water or under the earth. So here's what he's saying basically in all of that. He's explaining all of it. Don't worship anything other than me. Don't worship anything up there, down here, around there, under there, nowhere. Nowhere are we to find something that becomes for us the object of our worship. Nowhere. So in essence, idolatry is this. It's trying to bring, think about this. Idolatry really is trying, we know that God is there. We know that God is drawing near to us. We know that we can have relationship with God. And what we do is we try to bring God near to us. And in trying to do so, we find someone or something that is mediatorial, if that's a word, that is like a mediator to help us get close to God or at least feel closer to God. And in doing so, it opens the door to the demonic because Satan is really glad to give you counterfeit signs, counterfeit wonders, counterfeit miracles and experiences and emotional highs and, and whatever it is that you need to feel closer to God. He's, he's more than welcome to give you that as long as you're not putting your attention on God. And God says, do not be deceived. There's one God, worship me alone. And there isn't anyone or anything else that can get you closer to me. There isn't anyone or anything else that can give you greater insight to who I am, greater experience of me than me. And to try to find it somewhere else is idolatry. So I wanna, I wanna say, I, I wanna talk about two reasons here why we are not to worship idols. There are two reasons theologically why we don't worship creating created things, basically anything that's made, anything that has, has been made or that we can make, whether it's been made in creation or whether we can make it. And so when I say worship, we got to think of it as, uh, you know, worship literally is where your time goes, where your talents go, like where your skills go and where your treasure goes. That's, that's pretty much the way as you look at worship in the Bible, it's pretty much dealing with those three things. How you spend your time, how you, or how you invest your time, how you invest your, your, your talent and how you invest your, your treasure, your wealth. So think about that and, and, and think about what you pour your life into. Think about what consumes the majority of your time. And we're going to talk about two reasons why we're not, why we are told not to worship created things, which are idols. Number one, we don't worship an image. That's what an idol is. It's an image. It's an icon, right? It's, 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 it's a false god. We don't worship an image because we are the image of God. You see, 
in the Old Testament here, they were worshiping images, and they were not to worship images. They were to be the images of God who worshiped God and God alone. It says it this way in Genesis 1, 27. It says that when God first made, when God first made Adam and Eve, God created man in his own image. And it says in the image of what? In the image of God. So one of the Ten Commandments is don't worship an image. And here God says, you're my image. So in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. All right? So that's how we're created. So let me give you, let me give you an example of how this, this works in case it's a little bit confusing. So this morning, maybe you got up this morning and you might have looked into a mirror. For some of us, I know that's a sad moment, right? I understand. So just play the hand you're dealt, all right? But you get up and you look in the mirror, and the mirror does what? It reflects you, right? It reflects your image. It's not you. That what, what you see in the mirror isn't you. I mean, it's false to think that that's you. I mean, there's no soul there. There's no real body there. It's just a reflection of you. So God is spirit, and God made us to be his mirrors so that when people look at us, it's like seeing God instead of seeing us. That's what an image bearer of God does. We bear his image. We reflect his image. That's what worship is. Worship is reflecting the goodness and the glory of the God of the Bible. So when we love, when we forgive, when we seek justice and truth, when we are generous, when we are ref what we're doing when we do all those things is we are reflecting something of the character of God, the very God who made us. That's what worship is. Worship is just quite simply that who Jesus is would be shown outward in how we live. That's really all worship really is. That's what it means to worship with your entire life and your entire body. And so he says, don't get an image to worship, be the image that worships the one true God. Does that make sense? Okay, I see your heads bobbing up and down good. I picture them in my mind. So the second question is this. Okay, if we're not to worship images, but we're to be the image of God, then what is the object of our worship? All right, what is it? Who, who or what do we reflect? Where do we go? Well, the answer to that in Scripture is we go to Jesus. We don't worship an image, but rather we worship Jesus, who is the image of God. We see that in the New Testament in more than one place. One of the most important verses where we see that is Colossians 1.15, and this is speaking directly to the issue of worship versus idolatry. Paul writes it this way. He says that he and that is Jesus, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So he is the very image of the invisible God. The book of Hebrews also says this. The Hebrew writer says that, that he is the image of God. So in the Ten Commandments, when, when, when God says, don't make an image, he's saying, you are the image of God, and the image of God, if you want to see, so we're the image of God, but we don't perfectly reflect God, do we? We can't. We, we have sin. So we, we do the best we can, but we don't perfectly do it. But here's the thing. There is one who has and does perfectly reflect the image of God. There is a way that we can know how to be the image of God. And that is that God 
came to the earth that he created, and his name was Jesus. In the image of God, the image of God is perfectly created, perfectly reflected in Jesus. The image of God is perfectly reflected in Jesus. That is why Jesus can say, and he does say this a number of times, it's recorded in the Gospels, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to see the Father, look at me, Jesus says. That's how you can know what the Father looks like. That's how you can know what the image of God is. Jesus perfectly reflects that. It says that he is the radiance of God's glory in the book of Hebrews. So there's no one who is a more perfect worshiper than Jesus. God, God cannot be seen any more clearly than in Jesus. And that's why we don't look to created things to find God. That's why we don't look to nature to find God. I love nature, but we don't look to nature to find God. We don't look to animals to find God. We don't look to other people to find God. Because if you want to see what God looks like, there's only one place you can look, and that's Jesus. That's the only place that you can look to see the true nature of God. So there's God, God becomes a man, and the word there for image, image is in our English the word for icon. It's an interesting thing. If you look up the word image, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, then, uh, then what you see is that the Greek word for image, so in, 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 I'm talking about the Colossians verse there, Colossians 1.15, he is the image uh, of God. <clears throat> the word for image is, is literally icon. So think about an icon in our, in our culture. So in our language, that's what it is. If you want to see what God looks like, look at Jesus. And that's, that's what we believe. That's what we know. So we're not to look at created things. We're to worship the creator. We're not to seek images, but we're to seek to be images, image bearers of God. And we're to reflect the perfect worshiper, Jesus, who is the image of God perfectly revealed for us. And so what I want to do now is just want to transition to make this functional. I want to apply this before we, before we wrap this up. And think about our functional, actual worship. So all of us personally, some of us, th you know, we might, we might say, okay, I, 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 think, I think I'm okay in this one. Like, you know, I worship Jesus. I don't really worship any idols that I know of, right? And that may very well be true, but let's examine it for a minute and let's take a closer look at your worship just to see whether Jesus truly is the object of, of your life, of your worship. So what he says here in Exodus is two things, right? Because this, this continues. It doesn't just say, don't make an idol for yourself. It says, it's, it talks, he's talking about submission and service, right? He's talking about what you, you know, what you give your service to and what you submit to. Who do you submit to? What do you submit to? What, what rules, for example, what, what rules in authority over your life? So here's the thing. If, if it's you, then you worship yourself. The created thing that you worship is the person that you greet in the mirror every morning because you're the highest authority in your life and you're deciding what's right and what's wrong and you're deciding everything. Who or what you submit to and who or what or where you serve determines whether or not you actually worship idols. Where does your time go? Where does your money go? Where does your heart go? And as we examine our own lives, I mean, we can laugh at all of our cultural idols, right? Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right, Chris. But we kind of sometimes need to take this a little more serious about our personal idols 
And again, always remember, idolatry is always more clearly seen in them out there than, than, than in me. So let, let, me, let me share with you why idols historically are so popular. I think the, one of the reasons why idols are so popular is because they're indulgent. Um, what I mean by that is often with idolatry, um, like with idols, you do you you just do all you want, right? You drink all you want, you eat all you want, you you do all you want. I mean, there's no limits. That's what I mean by indulgent. It's very indulgent. It's also very desirable. Idolatry is where you can be in control. You can tell the god or gods what you want, and you can manipulate them to get to get what you want, right? Who doesn't want to be in charge? Who I mean, who doesn't want to be in control, right? Who doesn't want to be you know to to be you know, to, to be rich and to be healthy and to be successful and, and to be comfortable. And, and it's very desirable to be all, to be the one who establishes everything about your future. And then you recruit some spiritual deity to kind of bring it to light. I mean, there's nothing more, I mean, there's nothing more fun. I mean, than a concert, right? There's nothing more exciting than a sporting event. I agree. There's nothing more intriguing than than a perfectly set up mall where all the worshipers walk around and tied to their little gods and goddesses. Everything is so likable. It's so enjoyable, right? Festivals and holidays and parties and celebrations and traditions. I get it. So here's the thing. We're all idolaters, right? I mean, you're, are, are, you, are you with me? I hope you guys are all with me. I mean, idol- that's, that's who we are. That's why that lady in India said, oh my gosh, I can't stomach the idolatry. We swim in it and we don't even know it. We don't even realize it. And I think we need to pause and consider the very second commandment that God gave us is, is, is one that slaps us in the face right here in the United States of America, right? When we enjoy these things that we've been given in our culture, Enjoyment is one thing. Becoming addicted and indebted is another. You see, what happens is if we're not careful, we allow these things to become perverted in our lives and we become indebted to them. We become slaves to them. You see, idols lie. They promise to us things that only God can deliver and and they do that to enslave us. And that's why the worship of God is so important because he is the only one who can free us from these things. So I want to give you a few statements here to close to help you maybe find your idol. Maybe you already know what it is. Maybe as you've been listening, you're like, oh my gosh, I know where I sit here. But an idol begins and it lives in your heart and then it escapes out into the rest of your life. So that's, we got to kind of think of it that way. Martin Luther, the great reformer said, to that which your heart clings and entrusts itself, I say is really your God. That's, That's the way he put it. Jesus says, "Where your heart, where your heart is, uh, what, where your uh, where your mouth speaks, what you say reveals what's in your heart." And he says, "Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." And it's very you know, Martin Luther just just uh, paraphrased that basically. So an idol is often a good thing, and it's why it's why we that's why we have a hard time recognizing them as idols, right? I mean, family. Nobody's going to say family is a bad thing. Marriage, not a bad thing, right? Health and GPA and income. They're not bad things. An idol is always a good thing that becomes a God thing, which makes it a bad thing. All right, write that down. An idol is a good thing that becomes a God thing, which makes it a bad thing. 
So an idol is something that ends up like keeping you up at night and you think about it. It's why you wake up in the morning. Anything that's not Jesus, it's why it's why you wake up. An idol is the, any anyone or anything that replaces Jesus as the center of your life. And any idol that is that, that any or any created thing that takes the place of the creator is indeed an idol. That's what an idol is, and that's what we turn to instead of God to try to get something that we feel like we need. Here's another, here's another statement that, that ends up coming true. And this was said, this is a, a statement that was, I'm going to paraphrase from the great theologian Jonathan Edwards. He said this, what you idolize, you will demonize. So the way he articulated this is like this. If you idolize your job, for example, eventually you'll demonize your job. You'll hate it. If you idolize your spouse, if, 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 you're, if he or she becomes an idol, eventually you're going to demonize your spouse and you'll hate them. You ever wonder why in our culture there will be certain politicians or celebrities or business leaders, whatever the case might be, that, and there's this like, this, you know, all of a sudden this surge of approval and popularity and fame, and we idolize these people, and all of a sudden they fail, right? And the reason they fail is because their name isn't Jesus. It happens to everyone. The problem is everyone's on a stage today. And so what happens is, what do we do when that person says something that isn't in line with what we think should be the way people should speak of that stature? Well, we demonize them. We've, all these same people that we lifted up as our idols, that are, as our greatest people, person in the world, all of a sudden, boom, we vilify them, we demonize them, we criticize them, we hate them, or we cancel them. That's the 2020 word, right? They're canceled. Always going to happen. If you idolize or worship someone or something else, inevitably you will demonize that person or that thing. And so this is, this, let me give you one more statement. Don't let, and I think this is gonna be really important as we close, all right? Because depending on how you're feeling right now, make sure you hear this. Don't let idol hunting become your idol. Here's the way this happens. I think a lot of you listening probably have a really tender conscience about this and you're really serious, you wanna be serious about these things, like you're introspective and you love the Lord and you, you wanna get it right. And so what happens is you immediately become like, you know, like, oh, absolutely, my gosh, where are all my idols? Where's my heart? Um, you know, what am, I, what am I living for? Am I, you know, why, why do I get up in the morning? How do I spend my money? How do I, what motivates me? What drives me? Where, where am I giving my talent? And you know what happens is when you, when you live like that, you're all concerned about that. You know who you're about still? You, you're still about you. You're still not about Jesus. You're still thinking about you. You're still, the key is be about Jesus and about other people. When that's your focus, then your idols will actually start to diminish. You see, Jesus said the entire point of the law is that we would love God and love our neighbor. So the entire point of all of the commandments that God is giving us is that we would love God and love our neighbor. And so at some point, you've got to stop looking at yourself and you've got to get out to Jesus and get out to other people. And what happens, I think, with a lot of people is that they, 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 take, they want to take this seriously, but they become really dark. And all of a sudden, it's like, for them, a mark of true spirituality is finding all of the idolatry they have in their lives. And sometimes for those people, they even start to point out all the idolatry in everyone else's life. You see, historically, there are people, there really are, and some of you may know who these people are. I mean, you may, you may like have seen movies or whatever. There have been people in history who, in an effort to atone for their own sin, they would actually harm themselves. They would like, 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 whip themselves in the back and they, they would remove. And the whole idea is that is they would try to remove from their lives 
any sort of pleasure. Well, listen, that's a blasphemous practice. That's not a that's not a that's not a, a healthy practice. That's a bla- and the reason why it's blasphemous, I'll go as far as to say it's blasphemous, is because it's like saying, you know, when Jesus said it is finished, well, he wasn't really talking to me, right? It wasn't, he didn't really suffer for my sin, so I need to suffer for my sin too. I need to help Jesus out with my forgiveness. No, no. So I guess I conclude with don't beat yourself up. Don't obsess over this. Don't spend your whole life looking for your idols. When the Holy Spirit shows you one, get rid of it. Put your focus on loving him more. Put your focus on loving others. And what happens is your idols will begin to disappear. You see, here's the deal. We're all going to have idols. We're all going to have idols. They're going to show up. And, you know, John Calvin uh, said this. He said that, the human heart is like an idol factory. I mean, just it's going to happen. We're going to make some, but here's the thing. Don't, don't obsess over it. The worse you feel does not necessarily mean the holy you are, the holier you are. And so the answer, I think, to trying to eliminate your life of idols is to not make idol hunting in your life your idol, but just simply this, to make Jesus the object of your worship. It's like they, they say they, they give bankers... Uh, real, real hundred dollar bills to look at and examine to help them understand what a counterfeit would look like. You know, instead of focusing on the counterfeit, they focus on the real stuff. Well, that's the thing. Don't, instead of focusing on the idols, focus on Jesus. The way out of idolatry is worship. You are made to worship. You're going to worship. So if you worship Jesus, that sets us free from all the other idols and the sin, and it liberates us to live the life that God intends for us, the, a life of, of true freedom. So the last thing that God says in this verse is that he's jealous, right? And I wanted to point that out because it sounds kind of odd that God would say that, you know? But God is jealous. Idols are not. Idols, what I mean by that, idols are not jealous. Idols will let you worship anyone and anything and as much as you want. Everyone and everything because behind idols are Satan and demons, and as long as they can enslave you and distract you from God, they don't care how it happens. But the one true God is jealous, and the reason he is jealous is because he loves you like a groom. He loves you like a groom. This verse concludes by saying this, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands. And that, and that's, and what I mean, when he, when he says thousands, it's literally thousands of generations and generations to come of those who love me and keep my commands. So God is a jealous God. And I thank him. I thank, thank God that he's jealous. I mean, have you ever met a couple and one of them says, well, you know, he's committing adultery. He's cheating on me. Right. And you're like, oh my, well, how do you feel about that? And the wife would be like, oh, we're, we're okay with it. Doesn't really bother us. Right. Well, that's not love. That's not love. You don't really love each other if you're just okay with it. And the reason why love gets jealous is because love is exclusive. Love is very exclusive. So God doesn't say, hey, well, you can have me and other gods and goddesses and other religions, and you can dabble and pick from whoever you want and other spiritualities. God says, no, 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 no. It's like a marriage relationship. God's like a groom and his people are his bride. And idolatry is adultery. For us to give our attention somewhere else instead of him, that's adultery. God doesn't like it when his spouse is out fooling around. Some say, well, I don't fool around. I just appreciate a little Buddhism. Well, no, that's fooling around. 
that's fooling around. I mean, if April brought a boyfriend over for dinner tonight, the experience we would have in this house would not be one of indifference, I promise you that, right? There would be a little jealousy here, right? And the reason why is because love is exclusive. Love is passionate, love is jealous, and love is like a marriage, and God is like a husband, and his people are like a bride that he loves. And so that's how this commandment is concluding. It's, 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 it's really great news. This commandment says that God is showing us steadfast love. He's showing us patient love, gracious love, a father's love, and he's showing it to thousands of generations. So God concludes the second commandment by saying that he is really happy to pour out grace from generation to generation to generation. God is really happy to change families is basically what he's saying. God is really happy to have people with your last name, be friends of his long after you're gone. Thousands of generations, that's the key. Love me and keep my commandments. He said thousands of generations. So the answer to this is this, love God, keep his commandments. That's the answer to how to get rid of idols. Love God, keep his commandments because God wants to bless you. God wants to bless your kids. He wants to bless your grandkids and your great grandkids for how many generations? Thousands thousands of them. This is the father heart of God. He loves his children and he loves his children's children and he loves his children's children's children and he loves his children's 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 children. (laughs) So let's pray. And then we're going to worship one more time with a song and then you'll have the rest of the afternoon to worship and honor Jesus with how you spend your time and your energy. And, uh, and so as we, as we get ready to sing this last song, I'll just invite you, if you uh, have a uh, um, communion uh, bread and, and, and communion wine or communion juice set aside, uh, this would be a good time for you as a, as a family or even as an individual to recognize that you're communing with the rest of us um, as we participate in the same worship together. God, we're thankful so much that you give us, um, you don't leave us in the dark. You help us to understand exactly how you feel about your kids. We are your kids. We're your children. You created us, Lord, to, um, to love you back the way that you love us. We could never love you back the way that you love us. But God, your love for us is perfect and it is jealous. And because of that, when we give our attention to, to other, other gods that we don't even recognize as gods, idols that we don't even recognize as idols. It hurts you. It makes you jealous. You want exclusivity in this relationship. And it doesn't mean that you don't want us to enjoy sports. It doesn't mean that you don't want us to enjoy families and our spouses and our children and in our jobs and our recreational hobbies. It just means that we've got to learn to keep those things in perspective when it comes to where we focus the object of our worship. Lord, remind us of that today. Remind us of that tomorrow. Remind us of that every day this week. It's one of the reasons why we do these things on Sunday mornings where we gather together and the reason you set up your church to, to not forsake meeting together so that we can be reminded of these things and encouraged to live rightly, to live the way you designed us to live. And so right now, God, we worship in song and commune with you one more time. 
before we go out and worship with the rest of our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.